as they're doing that, I'll go ahead and just get us started. Uh, welcome to week two. You made it through week one of our prayer series, so welcome to week two of our series, The Basics of a Praying Church, where we're just kind of taking a, a deeper look at some basics. Um, this Sunday series is complementing our midweek series uh, that was just so well promoted uh, from the microphone. And uh, we, yeah, listen, we welcome you. We welcome you to come and be a part of that conversation. Do you have to have a book? No, there's people here that do not have the book. And so um, what we do is when we gather here, we summarize the book, and then we just discuss together. And uh, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a book trying to teach us how to become more aware of corporate prayer as a whole, as a church, and how we've lost the, the discipline discipline of it, and if you remember class Wednesday, really, we probably lost the desperation of it, is why we've lost the discipline of it. And so, we're trying to get back to that. Now, I, I said this, I, I really do believe after these five weeks, I want our church to look different in this way, that we're praying more together, that we are going to intentionally create space in our Sunday morning gatherings. If I need to talk less, I will. If we need to song, sing less, we will, because we need to pray corporately, together. Amen? All right. That's awkward. I know there's going to be people that come. We, listen, if people leave Journey saying that was weird, we want them to say it was weird because they prayed a lot together out loud. It's weird, right? And I'm okay to be that kind of weird church, right? I don't want to be known for snake handling or anything else. I want to be known <laughs> as the weird church that prays too much, okay? And so we want to get there. Uh, but for the sake of our Sunday mornings together, we're focusing on the basics of prayer by examining, here's the basics, who, what, when, where, and why. Oh, the how. Who said how? I'm glad you said that because we're actually going to extend this series one week and we're going to spend an entire hour praying together through song and through scripture. How cool is that going to be? That was going to be a surprise. I don't know why I just said it. But anyway... <laughs> No, this is the who, what, when, where, and why of, this. it's the basics of praying. And last week, we looked at the who of our prayers, and we determined that who we pray to is more important than what we pray for. Why? Because the what will always be changing in our lives, but the who never changes. In Luke chapter 11, verse 2, this is where we was at last week, Jesus said this, this is how you should pray. And then he didn't start with a problem. He started with a person, our Father. <laughs> See, we're not just lifting up some empty words to some distant deity, we are engaging with the holy God of heaven, who through the giving of his son Jesus for us, now allows us to call him Abba, Father. This is personal, and it's intimate. The psalmist, we looked at this Wednesday night, the psalmist in Psalm 116.2 says that the heavenly Father, he's bending down from heaven to hear our prayers, it's a beautiful picture. If you have prayed this morning, just imagine Jesus bending over the bow of heaven. The banister, what's the bow? The banister of heaven, hearing your very words. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your 
Father. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And not only does Jesus teach us to pray to our Heavenly Father, Jesus modeled this all through his ministry. Jesus prayed to the Father, Luke 6.12. Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. John chapter 11, if you remember, this is the story where Jesus' friend Lazarus had died and he shows up and Mary Martha's weeping. If you would have been here, you, you could have saved him, but now he's dead. He's been buried for four days. And Jesus at the tomb in front of the stone in verse 41 says, so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. In John 17, 1, which is the actual Lord's Prayer of the Gospels, this is where Jesus intimately prayed to the Father. It says this, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up, looked up to heaven and said, Father. And our big idea last week was this, our view of God will determine our level of worship and willingness to trust and obey our Father. Empty and powerless prayers are, are the result of us settling for a lesser God than the scriptures reveal to us. So the answer to any prayer problem that we have is not more prayer, but rather it's being reintroduced to the glorious one in whom we are praying to. Oh Lord, Help us rediscover that it's all yours, the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty, everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O oh Lord, and this is your kingdom. Help us relearn to adore you as the one who is over all things. That's who we pray to. Today, we're going to look at the what, when, and where of our praying. Oh yeah, all three of them. The what, when, and where of our praying. Today's big idea kind of answers the question of uh, what should we pray about, then should, when should we pray about it, and where should we pray about it. And so here we go. Are you ready? I'm just going to give you the big idea up front. Here's the big idea for today. Everything, all the time, everywhere. Everything, all the time, Everywhere. Now, I'm not sure that that kind of praying is possible until we actually get a view of God as the absolute sovereign great I am. We can desire it. We can preach a sermon series on it. We can even pray about it. But the execution of, of this kind of prayer life only happens when we get a glimpse of the glorious and eternal God. I want to be honest with you, I feel a bit hypocritical preaching this sermon today. I would probably be better off teaching a physical fitness class than preaching a sermon on praying for everything, all the time, everywhere. But this is true, everything we're saying this morning is true, and I want to pursue, I want to pursue this with you. This is, I want this to be the desire of my heart. And I want this to be the desire of your hearts. And so we're going to look at each one of these individually for a few moments this morning. Number one, what are we to pray about? And the answer is everything. Everything. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Now, we're going to come back to that verse next week, and we're going to go a little deeper with the, the relationship between our worrying and our praying. But for today, I simply want to focus on the three-word command that Paul gives us in the middle of verse 6 on prayer. Pray about everything. And we don't need a Bible degree here this morning to understand what everything means. God wants to hear from us about everything, everything. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to fathom that. I struggle to believe that God wants to hear from me at all. And yet the truth is, God wants to hear it all from us. Everybody else is probably wanting us to talk less, but God is wanting us to talk more. He wants to hear every detail of your day, every single day. God, the glorious God of heaven that holds the world in his hands, is the only person in your life that has never wished you would shut up. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter says, Give all of your worries and your cares to God, for he cares about you. It's personal. This isn't, I'm God, so I have to. This is, God, I want to hear from you. I want to meet with you. I want you to give it to me because I love you. I care for you. God is inviting us to cast every care and every burden and every hurt and every pain and every question and every emotion and every concern and every detail at his feet because he cares for you. Apostle Paul tells us to pray about everything, and then he finishes that verse by giving us a blueprint of what praying about everything looks like. Look at the second half of verse 6. Pray about everything. How do we do that, Paul? Well, you tell God what you... Man, this is my... This, when people come to me and say, I don't know how to pray, we start in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, because it is about the easiest formula. How do I pray for everything? Okay, this is really hard. One... Tell God what you need. Two, thank God for what he has done. That's it. That's it. Tell God what you need and thank God for what he's done. So here's my question to you this morning. What do you need from God? Don't answer that out loud because I want you to really answer it. What do you need from God? And here's my follow-up question. Are you Asking him? James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this about our prayers. We have not because we ask not. Now, that's James 2. There's some other reasons why we have not. But, but James says we have not because we ask not. You will talk to everybody else about everything that they have absolutely no power to change, but are you talking to the one who does? Tell God what you need. I don't care how heavy it is or how light it is. Tell him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. And two, thank God for what he's done. Because in everything, we are either asking God or praising God. We should be asking God or praising God. And the sure tell that you are maturing in your faith is when you learn to do both at the same time. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So there we go. We were asking about what is God's will for us. Well, there are certain times in throughout Scripture where Paul just, you don't have to guess here. This is God's will for you. And here Paul says God's will for you is to be thankful in all circumstances. So we are to give God thanks even through the absence of God's answer to our asking. Like when he's silent, we keep asking and we're still waiting. You mean we're to be thanking him? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's in our giving thanks to God for what he has already done for us. It gives us confidence and boldness to keep asking now. Let me give you an example. How many of you are needing God to provide something in your life right now? Hands up. Yeah. Now, number one, we believe that God is who he is revealed to be through the scriptures. And who does the scriptures reveal God to be? Jehovah Jireh. God provides. That's the God that is revealed through Scripture. And so with confidence, because of what the Scripture reveals about who God is, we ask God to provide for us because that is who he is. And then two, we thank God for his provision yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. What do we need when we're praying for God's provision today in the moment of darkness? We need to, re- we need to be reminded of the darkness yesterday and the day before and the day before that God provided and delivered us from. And it's in those moments of being reminded of what God has done that we have confidence to keep asking God in the darkness in our present condition. We keep asking for his provision while simultaneously praising God for his past faithfulness. So let me ask you one more time before we move on. What do you need from God? And are you even asking him? Because I think before we even move on to point two, we need to stop. We need to create some space here for you to bow your head and tell God what you need. Just the quietness of this moment. What do you need? Tell him. Number one, what should we be praying about? Everything. Everything. Number two, when should we pray about it? Answer, all the time. We have much to ask God for, and we have much to praise God for. So all of the time seems pretty reasonable if we just stop for a moment and think about all of the things we desperately desire and need from God and all the things that God has been faithful to us about. As Christians, we should be 
in a constant state of communion with our Lord, from good morning, Lord, to good night, and everything in between. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, just three, again, a three-word command from Paul, never stop praying. And again, never is pretty self-explanatory. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Ephesians 6, 18 says, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Praying in the Spirit means we are praying with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. This plays into James 2, where, where when James says, you, you have not because you ask not, and then he goes on to talk about other reasons like wrong motives. And So we have to pray in the Spirit. We have to pray with the Spirit. We have to pray walking in step with the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means that we are praying spirit-filled, God-glorifying prayers. We need to know that it is not the Holy Spirit's number one priority to keep you healthy, to keep you safe, or to prosper you. The number one priority of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Jesus. That's why Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that when we are empowered by the Spirit, we become witnesses of Jesus telling people about him everywhere. Notice it doesn't say when you are empowered by the Spirit, you will never be sick again, or when you are empowered by the Spirit, you will never face danger, or when you're filled by the Spirit, you will have as much as you desire. It says when you're filled by the Spirit, you will declare the name of Jesus. In want and in plenty, in life and in death, in a dry dining room floor and a wet dining room floor. The priority of the Spirit is to make much of the name of Jesus. So praying in the Spirit is asking Jesus to come alive at all times. In every occasion, through every circumstance, and through every conversation. And listen, that will change the way we pray. If you want to pray God's will, then pray asking for Jesus to be made big at all times in everything. And here's the question. I'm going to put it on the screen. If God answers your current prayers right now, how will Jesus be glorified? Or are you just a little safer? Are you just a little healthier? Or are you just a little richer? Or are you just a little less burdened with that bad relationship? If Jesus answered your prayers that you're praying right now, how is Jesus glorified? You see, that might not change what you're praying for, and I'm not saying it should, but it could change how you're praying for it. Might not change the what, but it'll change the how. Example, if someone shares with you, now I'm stealing this right from Facebook this week. If someone shares with you that they're struggling with anxiety, and they say, will you pray for me? I'm struggling 
with anxiety. The question is, how should we pray for that? Because the, the American surface prayer is just that, well, on, our reply is this, sure, I'm not going to do it right now, but yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we go home and we pray this, if we pray at all, Lord, take their anxiety. And that's it. Lord, remove the anxiety. Sure. But how does Jesus be made big in that? See what I'm saying? It's easy for us just to pray prayers. We want to be anxiety-free because it makes us feel better. We're not weighed down with anxiety. There's nothing wrong with praying for us to be removed from it. It's just not enough. It's too surfacy. We have to go deeper. Like, how is your anxiety keeping Jesus from being made big in your life? That's what we need to be praying for. If Jesus, we just sung about, he's the one that gives us freedom. And so we pray that Jesus, would you set them free from anxiety so your name can be glorified? Because you're the one, you're the only one that can set them free from this. That's different than, Lord, take their anxiety. We want them to be comfortable. Holy Spirit doesn't care if you're comfortable. The Holy Spirit's only concerned is Jesus glorified. He is your comforter. One day you will be fully comfortable in the presence of God. Right now, his desire is that Jesus be made big through your life. And sometimes that might even be through your anxiety. Sometimes that might even be through your diagnosis. And so we pray. We pray to the one that is the healer. Jehovah Rapha, is that how you say it? God the healer, Rapha. So we pray. We want God to heal. We know God can heal. But we also pray, God you be glorified even through the struggle. And sometimes God heals here and he gets all the glory. And sometimes he doesn't heal here so he can get all of the glory. So we pray for God to heal, but we pray that open-handed. Well, we're praying close-handed. God, your name be glorified above all. In life or in death, in sickness or in health, rich or poor. May Jesus be made big. So we need to be praying for Jesus to be glorified in everything all the time. So number one, what should we pray about everything? Number two, what should we, uh, when should we pray about it all of the time? And number three, where should we pray for it? Answer, everywhere. Can we go back to Ephesians 6 and finish that verse from a moment ago? Paul says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, all the time, Stay alert and persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so there's two ways that we pray that we can pray everywhere. Number one, we pray for Jesus to be glorified through us everywhere we are, everywhere we go. If we are praying for everything, and if we are praying for everything all the time, then naturally, wherever we go, we're going to be praying that means we have to be men and women of prayer at the DMV as much as women and men of prayer at church. I had one of those experiences this week too. 
If Paul and Silas can sing praises to God from prison, then we can sing praises to God from Walmart. If Stephen can pray for God to forgive the men that are in the moment throwing stones at him to kill him, then we can ask God to forgive the people that gossip about us. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can stand against a tyrant dictator to worship God, then we can stay true to God in American politics. If if Daniel could pray under the threat of a lion's den, then we can pray under the threat of looking weird in front of our peers. If Peter can walk away from being flogged rejoicing in the Lord, then we can rejoice in the Lord even when Taco Bell forgets to give me three soft tacos in my bag and I don't realize it until I get home. Again, another moment this week. (laughs) And I get home. It wasn't even my food. My food was there. It was my dad's food. And so I had to go back. Taco Bell... And then the Spirit reminds me, oh, remember in Acts? <laughs> uh, remember Peter? He just suffered for Jesus. He was flogged in front of the Sanhedrin. They're mocking him. And then he walks out praising God. And you're losing your mind over three soft tacos. I wasn't in a bad place. I just wasn't, I wasn't praising God because I lost three soft tacos. We pray for Jesus to be glorified in us everywhere we are. And number two, we pray for Jesus to be glorified in all his people everywhere. This is learning to pray outside our context and focusing on what God is doing across town and across the world. We don't just pray for our people or our church or our city, but we must pray for all people. And we must pray for God's universal church and God's mission all around the world. And oh, by the way, this kind of prayer life, this kind of praying is not just a suggestion to the church. Paul, in none of these Pauline letters that he's giving us these instructions is do we get the assumption that he's praying if you get around to it? Pray about everything at all times, everywhere. Now, it seems like every single one of these moments that Paul is teaching us how to pray, it's a command to the church. Pray about everything. Pray about it all the time. And pray about it everywhere you go. This should be our way of life. This should be normal within the rhythm of the redeemed. But it's not the norm. So what do we do? We pray. We repent. We confess that what God desires from us is not the normal. And then we ask him to help us make it normal. God, I don't pray about everything. God, I certainly don't pray about it all the time, and I'm certainly not praying about it everywhere I go. But I want to. And I can't, I can't stir up that motivation or that power within myself. 
That's a supernatural motivation. That's a supernatural power that only comes from the Lord. So we ask him to make normal in our lives what should be but is not normal. Wednesday night, we, we talked about certain things that are at war with our prayer lives. And I want to just share just a, few, uh, just a short list of those things because I think they're helpful to this conversation. Uh, one of the dangers uh, to this kind of praying that Paul is commanding us to is unbelief. And I'm not talking to unbelievers here. I'm talking to believers that we just struggle to believe that God can answer whatever needs to be answered. Maybe because we've never seen him answer anything else in our lives or we've not paid much attention to it. That's not really my struggle, but that might be some of the struggles of you in this room. I don't struggle with believing God can. Every time I pray, I believe God is going to answer my prayers. Okay, my biggest struggle sometimes is this. Not that God can't, but that God don't care. Why would God care about my prayers? Especially, all right, I hope this ain't, I'm stepping out on a limb here. Especially, why would God care about me asking him to deliver me from a mess that I put myself in? And so I struggle. Why would I pray God to deliver me when I'm thinking, no, God, if I was God, I'd slap myself and say, you idiot, you put yourself there, get yourself out. It's hard to pray when that's your mentality. In fact, I pray that sometimes. God, I need, God, you probably don't even, why would you? Why would you, because you've delivered in the past. You've delivered me from it in the past, and here I am right back in the same mess. So maybe you want me here. Maybe this is you teaching me a lesson. So, and, I, and I keep making all these excuses. I never get, get around to saying, God, I am a sinner in need of your grace and your mercy one more time. And then the next day is one more time. Unbelief. Another enemy of our prayer lives is distractions. We meant to pray, we just never got around to it because we were texting somebody or we were playing whatever it is, maybe a game on your phone or working around the house, working on a hobby, whatever the case may be. We, we, We meant good, we meant to pray, we meant to get around to it, asking, but we just never got to it because we were distracted by something far less important. Uh, we talked about this one, secularism. Okay, I tried not to say that word too much, and I almost left it out because it's hard for me to say. But uh, let me just give you the, um, the bottom line of secularism. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, where ironically we're at, um, says we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. And it reminds us that we're at war with spiritual things. And secularism just teaches us there are no spiritual things. It's all physical. You see how that's at war with our prayer lives? Why would we pray to a spiritual God if our problem's really not a spiritual problem, it's a physical problem? No, I'm in the mess because I'm an idiot, so I just need to try harder to make better decisions to make sure I don't end up in this place again. Or we talked about one of the other things we do is, uh, we didn't use this word, but I, I, I wrapped it up with this, heroism. In other words, we don't need God. Or, or we, 
We never get around to asking God because we're, we're thinking too much about how am I going to fix this? And we never get around to asking God because we're too busy talking to everybody else about our problem. We never get around to asking God because we're, we're trying to figure out what am I going to do? How, how am I, what, what am I going to do to fix this? And we never get, we're so busy thinking, talking, and doing that we never spend time asking. Really, it's just pride. That would be the better word than heroism. It's pride. We don't need God. Or it's unbelief and pride. Why would God care about my problem? Why would God deliver me? Why would God answer my prayer? I'm here because of my own stupid mistakes, and so I've got to figure out how to get out of this thing. I'm trying to be spiritual in that moment. Well, why, why would God fix it? I made the mess, so it's time for me to figure out how to fix it. No. You go to God, you tell him you're an idiot, that you're a sinner, that you need grace, and that you need mercy, and that you're not looking for a free ticket, you're not looking for, listen, if, if God wants you to work to get out of that mess, then good, but let, make sure God's the one putting the plan together, not you. If we desire to pray everything all the time, everywhere, then we're going to have to stay desperate on the Lord and keep slaying the things, trying to steal, kill, and destroy our prayer lives. So that is how we strive to pray. Everything, all the time, everywhere. Everything, all the time. Do you know how many times I've said that this week? <laughs> everything, all the time, and then they forget the tacos. And I lose my mind for a moment. And then I'm reminded. Everything, all the time, everywhere. And the only reason we have access to God for everything, all the time, everywhere. The only reason that's even possible is because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Listen to these verses, and then we're going to take communion together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the writer says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death. Jesus opened a new and life-giving way th through the curtain into the most holy place, the curtain, the veil of the temple, right? The one place that only the, the high holy priest could go into because everybody else was a mess. And anybody else that was a mess that would try to enter the holy of holies would die. So no, God's not waiting for me to clean up my mess to pray. God is asking me to come to him with my mess and ask him again and again and again to deliver me, not because somehow I deserve it, but because of Jesus' death on the cross. We don't get access to God because we're good. We don't get access to God because we finally got it together. We don't get access to God because we're good prayers. We get access to God because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, representing no longer any separation between us 
and God. By the way, that's why we don't pray to priests. That's why we don't pray to dead saints. We pray to the living Jesus. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house. I love this. Here's the command. Let us go right in. <laughs> Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We have access to pray to God, our Heavenly Father, about everything, all the time, everywhere. Because Jesus died and rose again. And so when we take communion, we don't take lightly all that that means. Today, we get to celebrate, we get to praise God for giving his son so that we can pray these prayers. And we get to praise God through communion that Jesus took the shame of us not praying these prayers. So you don't have to leave her to go, I am such a horrible Christian. I don't pray about everything, and I don't pray all the time, and I don't pray everywhere. Such a, leave here feeling guilty. No, no, no. The same Jesus and the same blood that gives us access to the Father is the same Jesus and the same blood that removes your guilt and your shame.